This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, this is Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and with me is Laura from AJ Bell. Hi. And this week, pleased to say, we're joined by Russ Mould from AJ Bell as well. Hello. Today, we're going to look at what Boris means for your money, whether the returns on property bonds are too good to be true, and whether ditching receipts is a good idea or not. So, first off, we're recording this the day after Boris Johnson was announced as the new leader of the Conservative Party, and so the new Prime Minister. So, we thought we'd do a little trot through what this might mean for your money and your investments. Firstly, Dan, what did markets have to say about the announcement yesterday? Not a lot, to be honest. Um, which I don't think is too much a surprise. I think the key thing was the pound was weak running up to the actual event. Um, I don't know, the market just shrugged off because it was they've been I expecting it. been widely it. expected to win for some time. So in that respect, yeah. markets had had a chance to respond. The pound had gone down. There's been a lot of buying of government bonds, gilts as, I guess, a bit of a perceived haven or a place of safety in times of, of economic uncertainty. Uh, but I think, yeah, generally speaking, it was all kind of largely as expected. Yeah, I mean, we've had some sort of pretty bad um, economic figures out recently from the construction manufacturing services sector. So, you know, your sentiment towards the UK is pretty weak. And I think people are sort of looking for, you know, they're looking for some answers. And of course, Boris walks into the same situation as Theresa May. Still, do, you know, still have the same problem. How, how do you get the EU and a parliamentary majority to um, agree on what the form of Brexit will be? And, and until we have that information, I think the markets are going to stay sort of volatile and you know they're just they're just looking for um give me some yeah. guidance that's what they want I, I think what they want is a resolution whether you remain or leave what markets want to know is what are they actually dealing with is it a soft brexit a hard brexit a no deal brexit and once they know what it is and what it looks like then they can make a rational decision as to whether uk equities are cheap or not and you know, if so, which stocks, and if not, which stocks are expensive or could be positively or negatively affected. I mean, Moody's, the credit agency, sort of came out after the you know Boris's announcement and said, look, the the, the risks of a no deal have increased. Um, you know, crashing out the EU will cause significant damage to Britain's credit ratings, and therefore, sort of major companies. So one would expect that would include some of the banks in there as well. So I, I think then it depends on what the Bank of England does. I mean, we've got a new governor coming in in January. There are I mean, if you look at the betting now, Andrew Bailey of the Financial Economics Authority was the favourite. He's not anymore. It's mm, Gerard Lyons. It's Gerard Lyons who was Boris's economic advisor when he was uh, mayor of London. And Lyons is known to be pro-Brexit. So, in that respect, again, then will be what does he, if he gets the job, what does he do? But I think there's an expectation that if there's a hard Brexit and economic duress, the Bank of England would respond with interest rate cuts, which again you wouldn't expect to be immediately positive for sterling, for example. But, you know, the UK's last, I guess, major Europe-related economic incident was Black Wednesday in 1992, when the pound fell out of the exchange rate mechanism and was devalued against the German Deutschmark. History lesson there for anybody who's a little bit, on the, <laughs> bit, a little bit younger than me. Um, and the pound went through the floor. The UK was in recession. But one of the things that helped get the UK out of recession was that collapse in the pound. It stimulated exports. And within a couple of years' time, the UK economy was throbbing and the pound had recaptured an awful lot of the ground that it would lost. So I think what you'll find is that a pro-Brexiter would probably use that as a precedent for, yes, it's going to be tricky, but it's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, the, the investment bank Investec came out with a statement um, saying it thought 
there would be a massive buying opportunity for stocks once there was clarity over the sort of the Brexit outcome. And then another asset manager, Henderson, was sort of saying, um, well, actually, it sees a no deal Brexit as being sort of a one in three chance, but there's also a one in four chance that Brexit's cancelled. So I think the message is for investors at the moment is don't, you know, don't try and sort of time the market, position your portfolio, but perhaps when we get clarity about what's going to be, whether it is a hard Brexit or not, that's that's the key point at which investors can reappraise their holdings. I think at that point you can decide whether UK stocks are cheap or not. And on an earnings basis, they don't look bad. 13, 14 times forward earnings, pretty much in line with their long run average. And obviously then you've got that dividend yield of four and a bit percent, which looks amazing relative to cash, amazing relative to government bonds down at 0.8%, I think now for the 10 year. Obviously with more capital risk, you know, shares can go down as well as up relative to bonds or cash. But I think that yield is something that people may latch onto if, again, they think that they've got some visibility in what the deal means and I guess whether those dividends are forecasts are worth the paper they're written on. And we've actually started to see a little bit of that already. So UK has obviously been a market that's been so out of favour. Um, but in May, we saw investors, actually UK investors, moving back into UK markets. And those funds saw inflows for the first time in kind of two years. So we're starting to see maybe the point where the market's got so cheap and that yield that you're talking about on offer is so good that some people are starting to kind of dip their toe back in the water. I mean, unloved underperformed and potentially cheap are three pretty good starting points for any investment. Obviously, again, the, the, the cheap that is the more is the bigger debate. Are the earnings forecasts any good? Are the dividend forecasts any good? But I think, yeah, if something's been in the doghouse, as it has been for at least three years, you know, the contrarian juices start to flow and make you think, yeah, maybe there is something to be something to be had here for the patient investor. And one thing that I, we've, we've talked about in the podcast before is that um, Companies earlier this year had benefited from lots of stockpiling for Brexit, and and, and that perhaps sort of kept the UK um, ticking over a bit more than better than people thought. And then and then recently we've had some people saying, "Oh, you know, they're running down these stocks." You had Mr. Kipling uh, make a Premier, Premier Foods. Foods, yeah, the other what day. What was the horrible term that's used to? Downpiling or something? <laughs> Terrible term. Or destocking or something de-stocking, like that. Something like that. A, you know, they, they were saying that the people bought you know, masses of boxes of um, Mr. Kipling, uh, you know, sort of saying, we don't want any more for now, so we've got loads to sell. But there is a sort of um, a slight feeling amongst some of the um, investment banking analysts that we could get another wave of restock, you know, stocking again, Bef- you know, stockpiling. Before Halloween. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, you, you could see some quite wild swings in terms of the health of some companies um, before we get this, you know, the, the, you're thinking of Brexit um, is not that far away, but there's still lots that could happen in, in the interim. And I think what's also interesting is there's been quite a lot of talk. It's obviously early days in terms of Boris uh, being in charge, but there's quite a lot of talk about how he doesn't want to fall into the trap that Theresa May did, where his entire premiership is based around Brexit, and he's actually keen to do other things away from Brexit so that his legacy is bigger than that big whole mess of an issue at the moment. So we've actually seen some of the stuff that he's come out and said already that would affect people's finances. So he's talked about um, increasing higher rate income tax, so increasing the point at which you pay 40% tax um, and hiking that up from £50,000 to £80,000, which would be a massive tax break for a lot of those kind of middle income earners, which are probably the core 
Tory party um, supporters. So that's quite interesting that he's come out with that. He's also talked about reforming stamp duty um, and changing that and making it so that people pay less stamp duty lower down the ladder as he thinks that might stimulate the housing market. No, I mean, that would, that would be good for, you know, if you're invested in house builders and estate agents, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I guess property, we're going to talk about property a bit later in the podcast, but you know, property is a subject matter that's very close to the nation's heart, isn't it? So anything with stamp duty could... Um, I mean, and both of those feature giveaways, basically. And I think, although he's been pretty careful not to say too much in the in the run-up to becoming leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, the, the, the definitive trend seems to be end of austerity to me. In that, you know, and actually Schroeder's, the fund management group, released some numbers yesterday. As a percentage of UK GDP, public spending is at its lowest level since 2004. Tax receipts as a percentage of GDP at their highest level since 1986. Wow. So Schroeder's are saying, you know, if he wants to turn on the taps... I know Chancellor Hammond would say, uh, please don't, but he, would, I think Mr John will actually view this as a chance to be a little bit more free and easy with the public purse and maybe try go down the fiscal stimulus route and not just rely on the Bank of England and interest rates. Because let's face it, 10 years of Bank of England zero interest rate policy and QE doesn't look to have made a fat lot of difference, all things being equal, does it? And of course, Hammond is now out. He handed in his resignation, so we're going to have a new Chancellor. So spreadsheet fill is gone, and we may have a new Chancellor who's willing to open those purse strings a little bit. And a Bank of England governor who is going to be more attuned to Mr Johnson, presumably in terms of issues such as Brexit and other policy as well. So, you know, you may may well end up with more pro-growth policies, perhaps, than we've had for two or three years. (laughs) So anyway, away from the political turmoil of the country, Dan, you've been looking into a listener question that we had about property bonds. So lots of people have been struggling to get any return on their money in cash because of interest rates being so low, which we just talked about. So lots of people have been drawn in by offers of bonds that are advertising these high interest rates. My alarm immediately goes off because if you're being offered a high interest rate for something, you've got to be taking on much more risk than cash. But so how safe are they? You've been looking into them. Yeah, I mean, so so we had this this question from a listener and so I just typed in you type in property bonds into Google and I got a range of products that are offering between eight and eighteen percent a year Pardon? interest. Wow. Yeah. yeah so really? You, yeah. So if you think that you can get like Ew. Yeah. Immediately, ding, 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 yeah, exchanging ding, 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 looks. We're yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, what can you get in a in a in a, in a sort of a one year easy access size? So you probably get one and a bit, one, one point one and a half percent. Apparently, you tie your money up for a couple of years, you can sort of squeeze it up to two. I think yeah, can't about you? That. maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I looked at Best Buy fixed um, term over five years, you can get two point six percent. So if you're you're comparing it to that, so clearly. The, the income on offer from these property bonds is considerably more. So you, I can understand why people would be attracted to it and want to know more about it. Um, and of course, we, as we were talking about earlier, property, the UK loves everything to do with property. And these bonds are offering some sort of security saying like, if anything goes wrong, um, they're, they're secured against the property. And we could you know, just sell the property and we'll give you the proceeds back. But I think that sort of, it sends a sort of a, a misleading message about how safe these products are. So I think if anything above six or 7% interest or, or returns, it, it, it sounds too good to be true. And it probably is. There's considerable risks here. So they work in, in various different ways. One model is, you would invest in the bond and then the bond issuer would use that money to lend to a property developer and you would get your returns when they built something. Do you and know what the end properties are? 
in in some cases you do because you can choose which scheme okay. you want to do. So you either lend against an, a certain property, a specific one, or you can spread it amongst a range of property types, um, or you know it's much more diversified. And then so if they sell a property, you'll get the money. Um, that's how you make a return. Or it could be that it's just interest payments from the property developer back to the bond issuer, and that's how they fund the return to you. So it, it's it, on paper, you think, okay, that's fine. You know, nothing goes wrong in the world of property, but I think we know that's not right. So this has quite a lot of parallels with Lendy, which there's been lots of coverage of recently. We said that was a peer-to-peer lender, which seemingly worked in a very similar way. You handed over your money, you got a decent interest rate, um, and that money was then lent out to property developers who were actually building and constructing property rather than just buying it as well. Um, that has obviously now collapsed and people are not going to get all of their money back. Um, so that probably highlights one of the big risks, isn't it, it? It's a very big risk, yeah. I mean, with the situation Lendy was their their bad debts was were very, very high. Um, and so, yeah, so people people lost their money there. And it's a similar, a similar principle. It's, you know, you're lent, ultimately, you're investing in a bond and that money's getting lent to someone to build property. So, it, 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 and also, yeah. sell it, if there is a problem, selling the end property at the end, it's you know it's back to this liquidity issue that we, I know has been talked about so much with all sorts of funds and asset classes in investment. Property, you just can't sell it at the flick of a switch when you want to. And if the market's gone sour, there'll be lots of other people selling. And then the question is, when can you sell? At what value can you sell? And it's not as easy as it looks. Just for reference, are these things regulated at all? Um, they are a, a mixture of mini bonds and... Uh, retail bonds so um, I don't know doesn't sound like yeah, it to me because there has I, been trouble with some of the mini bonds that they're not regulated by yeah. the FCA and I'd assume therefore they're also they're not covered by the financial no, services compensation scheme so again if something goes wrong heaven forbid then you are going to lose your money right yes yeah. definitely because obviously the, the financial services compensation scheme will cover cash in the bank in the bank up to £85,000 per qualifying financial institution but these are investments yes. so these, so, these aren't, so there's, there's no compensation there's no safety net no. No. no and so the idea that they've got this security against the asset um, there's no guarantee you'll get your you know you can actually get well, that there's no money guarantee back. the asset's worth what you hope it is is it if something's yeah. gone wrong then the chances are I would think it might not be and if some of them are mini bonds which means that you have to hold them for the whole term which could be sort of three five years um, there is a product that's currently trying to raise some money which is a, um, a retail bond which will trade on the London Stock Exchange's um, or platform. And so therefore, there would be a secondary market. Someone else could buy it, your bond if you wanted to sell earlier than maturity date. So if you wanted to get your money out, you could effectively sell that bond on to someone else who would pay yeah, you out for but it. but of course, there has to be someone who wants to buy that bond mm. from you. Um, now this product's offering 6.5% interest, which is a lot lower than everything else. So I, I, I had a chat with them. I said, well, you know, what, compare your product to to something that's, let's say, 14%. And the, and the guy running it was saying, well, I, because I, I, I'm not familiar with all those other products, but my feeling is that they're lending money to um, inexperienced property developers, mm. hence why... Well, they won't be able to get access to credit, which is why they'll be having to pay these high interest rates and go to alternative sources of funding, I guess. Yes, that's, that's correct. I mean, and I think he was saying that um, his company was lending to much more experienced ones. But if you think, well, if, if you're paying 6.5% to your investors, well, then you're obviously lending it more because you have to cover your cover your costs. So, so it's not no, it's not low risk, is it, at all? So, so I think if you were looking for a source of income, property bonds 
um, are not as clear-cut as you may think. Um, I think it, it would perhaps be wrong to say they're all rubbish. Um, mm. But you've clearly got to go into it eyes wide open, and as Laura said, know that you're getting a high return percentage because you are taking an extremely high level of risk. Yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't be getting that return in the first place. There's also a case where you've got to do a lot of research. Quite often, they're marketed as an alternative to cash. So people think, okay, this is relatively safe. Um, if you look at the Lendy example again, they were told that it was the their investments were diversified across different people in different properties, but actually that turned out not maybe not to be so much the case. There was also meant to be a lifeboat scheme, um, and that, that didn't turn out to be quite so secure as people thought. So I think you've got to do a lot of your own digging and research so you know exactly what you are getting into, how diversified the properties are, like you say, Dan, the kind of properties that you're investing in and the kind of people you're investing in. And, and here's a slight problem, is that when I looked at some of the uh, offers available at the moment, you go onto the website and they give you a nice shiny picture of a building. Of course, they don't give you any more information until you give them your phone number. And unfortunately, that opens you up to receiving loads and loads of marketing calls all the time. Mm. So you may call them up and say, yeah, give me more, more information. Uh, there, you know, there is a risk that you could then, if you don't respond quickly, they'll, they'll hound you and potentially pressure you into um, signing up. And I think that if there's ever an investment proposition and they don't give you all the information up front without having to hand over your personal information, I would be very wary about these sort of schemes. Yeah, can you imagine signing up to a bank account, a cash bank account, where they don't tell you any of the information until you've handed over all of your details? Yeah. And then they call and hound you. I think that gives them a good example of how different that market is to cash accounts. Definitely. And so finally, I saw something interesting this week that I thought might mark a sign of the times. So Weatherspoons, the pub chain, says it's stopped issuing receipts to customers. So its argument is that it causes a mess, it's bad for the environment, and no one wants them. Dan, you strike me as a man who would keep all of his receipts. I love a receipt. I've got <laughs> I knew my, it. My wallet is full of receipts. Um, I simply, I, I got them because at the end of the month, me and my wife just sit down and work out everything we spent and just split it. So we, we, we pay everything equally. Um, I guess I could just look, I could use a fancy app uh, that tells me all my spending. But I'm just, Which is what Monzo does, isn't it, for example? Yeah. It just pops up on your phone straight away. So it actually makes budgeting dead easy. I, I Also, people always talk about that with Monzo. I have an American Express card and that does exactly the same oh, well, thing. There you, there you Not are, as trendy, too. but still does the same thing. But I rem I'm, I'm sure I remember going on holiday to America years ago and there was signs saying, mm. if we don't give you a receipt, um, you can get your money back or something like that. Cause, but yeah, I, I, I sort of Googled it. I couldn't find any sort of precise laws. I don't know if something's changed with how they work in America, but um, I don't know. So Laura, when you lived there, what do you... I didn't actually look into the legalities of receipts when I was there. <laughs> but no, I do know what you mean. There were always signs saying if you don't get your receipt, you get it for free. I don't know. Yeah. What, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll dig into that. Yeah, but I can, I can see, like, you know, if you're, if you're perhaps going out for something to do with work and you need a receipt to claim back your expenses... Um, I think Weatherby... I should we ask. Yeah, Weatherby's have sort of said, yeah, we can still give you one. Um, but it just sort of, they said it was a hassle and it was, you know, it, it's environmentally friendly if we don't waste all yeah, I mean, this. Lots of places offer me an electronic receipt, but then I think, actually, that's just you trying to get my email address. Ooh, that so is can, the latest So you con, can then hound me mm. electronic, which is, I'm not, I'm not entirely in love with that as an option no, either. Not. So. No, that is true, isn't it? Because they want to know more about you, you your spending habits. And if you, every time you spend, they say, oh, yeah, we got your email on file. You know, you know that they're, they're doing it for so they can send you offers and also just just see are you continue are you like are you the magic customer who is spending more on average than everyone else. 
but about three years ago in the UK, I don't know if you remember, there, there was a, a story about new thermal printers being introduced in the UK where um, they were using sort of temperature-sensitive paper. They weren't actually using um, ink cartridges to print it. And then people were finding that if, if those receipts got exposed to heat or light, all the information was just fading away. And of course, that's that's a problem. If let's say you bought a product and it's faulty and you want to take it back to the shop, suddenly you've got this blank piece of paper. Um, it's almost like you need a spy pen to sort of rub over it to get the information back. I mean, Argos was one of the people that were doing it at the time and they, they were sort of saying, well, you, know, you could show your bank statement as a proof of purchase um, potentially. But it's, um, I think that there has been a trend, isn't it? To get rid of I admit, I'm not that careful of research. I keep them for a bit and then tend to lob them. There are certain ones I always keep. My train season ticket. Just oh. to cry over it. No, no. Well, part of <laughs> that, but also the year, those years of misery when the service was completely up the spout. You know, because they Southern Rail outsourced the job of returning compensation to ticket holders to an outsourcing company whose name will not be mentioned under these circumstances. They did not have the rest. So I said, well, I am a season ticket holder. Said, well, we've no proof. So what do you mean you've no proof? I've bought the ticket from the same office for the last 10 years. We haven't got that evidence, sir. But I had kept the receipt and I had my bank statement showing that I had purchased it. And there were stories, I don't know how true it is, that one very disgruntled commuter had gone to American Express to say, these people are not providing the service for which I've been sold. I'm demanding that you refund me because yeah, they're not pro- they're not provide and I think then and it may be an entirely coincidence but the strikes and the service problems were resolved remarkably quickly afterwards mm. so whether Amex then went and had a word with the train companies and said we're on the hook here and therefore you're going to be on the hook I genuinely don't know but it struck me as being an interesting coincidence that this story went around everybody was told please put your train tickets on your credit card because it gives you protection for non-provision of service mm. and then keep your receipt, keep your credit card statement, because then if the, there is a problem, you, they say, oh, we're going to give you a month of your money back because we've been so inept, you need all of those. Prov- and to be fair to them, I should say, Touchwood last six months, it's actually been fine. Oh, but, well, now you've jinxed it. But <laughs> it, it was some, that, that is the one receipt I always make an absolute point of filing away so it can't fail. I even photocopy it so it can't fail, and then it's in a drawer and I know exactly where it is. Last week, I got £2.55 from the train company for a delayed train. Um, it's getting a bit of a habit. What have you spent your winnings on? Well, this is it. I was I haven't yet because I don't it's know what to do. It's not a conversation for four hours getting back home. Yes. Though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, you know, they don't give you, they sort of say, oh, that's fine. We'll give you, you know, just delay repay. We'll give you loads of money back. But they don't, they, you know, if you're if you're within a certain time frame, um, they give you peanuts, don't they? Well, so I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my £2.55. I won't invest it because it costs more than that. Barely so. get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> barely get you a cup of coffee. You can buy us snacks for next week's podcast. Okay, let's see. That's okay. All right, that's everything this week. As always, thank you very much for listening. And please do leave a review wherever you listen to our podcast. We would also like a five-star review, if possible, please. Um, See you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes. And the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.